Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. In this episode, we have The Dame from Chicago by Benton Braden, originally published in the winter 1952 issue of Five Detective Novels. This story is included in our recent release from Brick Pickle Media, Chicago Pulp Tales, now available in print and ebook format. It features vintage pulp stories set in and around the Windy City. It can be ordered from Amazon or any other bookstore. You can get a discounted price by ordering direct from our website, and that link is in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2020. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. If you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books in our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show. The Dame from Chicago by Benton Braden. Joseph Malick was only mildly interested when, through the small glass pane in his private office, he saw the girl come through the front door of his neat little jewelry store and approach his clerk at one of the counters. The girl was pretty, but she was a bit overdressed and she swaggered a little. At the best, she would probably buy no more than a ten-buck gaudy bracelet. Malick wasn't interested in ten-buck sales or, in fact, in any of the petty sales that were made in his store. His store was small, well-kept, but located inconspicuously on a side street where it did only a modest business. Legitimate business, that is. But Malik was doing a most satisfactory business in other and devious ways. Joseph Malik was a fence, although not an ordinary fence. He was wily and cautious in his dealings with the underworld. He found it was much safer to do business with a few big-time crooks who, like himself, were interested only in big stakes. Right now, he's doing very well by concentrating his attention on one mob that sneered at anything less than a five-figure take. So Malik wasn't interested in the girl who had entered his store until the door of his private office opened and he looked up and saw her standing there. She was smiling, and Malik noticed that the smile showed complete self-confidence. She closed the door, and without invitation, walked over and seated herself in a chair that stood at the opposite side of his desk. Hello, Malik. How's every little thing? She spoke easily in a nice contralto voice, but Malik stiffened a little. He was quite sure he had never seen the girl before, and he did not care for familiarities, especially from slightly overdressed girls. He noted, too, that she was the type that went a bit too strong with the makeup. Even at that, she was an exceptionally pretty girl. Everything's all right with me, he replied with a frown. But I don't quite remember having... Of course you've never met me before, she broke in with a little laugh. But what's the use of a formal introduction between parties? Who ought to be friends? To my way of thinking, we have a lot in common. Joseph Malik didn't like this approach at all. He'd already guessed that the girl was a cheap little crook who had heard that he had been known to buy slightly worn merchandise. She'd probably put out a junky diamond ring and try to sell it to him for 20 bucks. He'd have to get rid of her as quickly and quietly as possible. If we have anything in common, I'm not aware of it. And I might as well tell you right now that I am not running a pawn shop, but buy only from regular wholesale markets. Sure, I know, she said, her tone was mocking. I don't blame you for being a bit slow on the bite. I'm not so dumb as to think I could walk in here cold and get you to handle something. I'll produce some very good references. I'm not local talent, Malik. I'm from Chicago. Not hot there at all. Just came on here with a pal for a change of scenery. Before we left Chicago, we were advised by a very knowing guy that you might be the market for high-class stuff if the price was right. I can assure you you've been misinformed. I'm not in the market for any kind of stuff. At any price. I'm running a strictly legitimate business here. Sure. Strictly legitimate, except when you absolutely know you're dealing with the right people. Now, I'm right people and I can prove it. I have what you might call a letter of introduction. Just take a glimmer at this. Her hand came out of her big purse with a paper in it. She unfolded and placed it on the desk before Malik's eyes. It was a newspaper clipping. Malik stared at it uncertainly for a moment. 
Curiosity got the better of him and he picked it up and read it. It said, Cops nab man and stick up. The police grabbed one of two men who participated in an armed robbery at the Belton Arms apartment last night. The victim of the robbery was Mrs. Henry Staunton. Mrs. Staunton had attended a large reception during the evening and was wearing a diamond necklace valued at more than $100,000. The two men confronted her as she was entering the lobby of the apartment hotel. One of them covered the clerk at the desk while the other tore the necklace from Mrs. Staunton's neck. Up to this point, the robbery was a success. But patrolman John Hapnick happened to pass the entrance to the building just as the two gags were leaving. Mrs. Staunton screamed and Hapnick called on the two men to stop. They ran for it. Hapnick fired and hit one of them in the leg. The other bandit ran around the corner and got away in the darkness. The captured man refused to talk, but he had been identified as a well-known criminal from Chicago. Although both the Yeggs were dressed in overalls and masks, police suspect the smaller two may have been a woman. Unfortunately, the one who escaped had the necklace. Police are checking with Chicago authorities in an effort to get a line on the fugitive gunman. Mrs. Staunton stated the necklace was fully covered by insurance. Joseph Malik finished reading and looked up. The girl was smiling broadly. That's my letter of introduction, Malik. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Here's my reference. Again, her hand came out of her purse, and she carelessly tossed something on the desk before Malik's eyes. His mouth opened, and he couldn't suppress a slight exclamation as the stones glittered beneath the light. It was a diamond necklace, and Malik's trained eyes instantly told him it would be a bargain in any retail store at $100,000. You, you, you mean? Your brain's working now, Malik. Sure. The cops were right. One of them was a dame. Poor Mike. He wasn't much of a sprinter in the pinch. That cop nailed him when he was within five feet of the corner. I made it and kept going fast. I got to her car and got away fast, and I mean fast. I ditched the coveralls as soon as I got a chance and drove on like a perfect lady. But I had the necklace. Joseph Malik pushed the necklace across the desk toward her. Get it out of sight. I don't like it. How do you know the cops haven't spied you and tailed you here? This Mike may have squawked on you. She shook her head confidently. Not Mike. They won't get a thing out of Mike. He'll take his rap and keep his mouth shut. He's not only a right guy, but he's nuts about me. They'll never get anything out of him, and I'll guarantee you that I'm not being tailed. I've been around too long to overlook a tail, Malik. Besides, the cops wouldn't fool with a tail if they did spot me. They'd pick me up and quick and make me cough up the bauble. But I'm not too anxious to carry it around. I like to turn it into quick cash. Malik looked at her for 15 seconds, a gleam in his eyes and his mind working in high gear. I don't think I'd be interested. I have a nice little business here, and I decided not to take any chances. In spite of your lunch introduction and your reference, still I am not acquainted with you. Suppose I bought the necklace from you, for all I know you might sing like a canary if the cop picked you up later. I wouldn't chirp. Besides, the cops aren't going to pick me up. They can check all they please, but they won't hook me up with the job. I'm a big girl and a smart one. The cops haven't even got my prints or picture. For the record, I'm clean. Mac leaned back and folded his hands and looked thoughtful for a moment. I'm short on ready cash. 3000 would be the most I could raise at the moment. You probably wouldn't be interested in an offer like that. Three grand? The smile left her face and there was a sneer in her voice. You know damn well I wouldn't let it go for that. Those diamonds are worth at least 40 grand wholesale. Along for risk and profit and everything, you could well afford to pay 10 grand you know it as well as I do. Malik frowned heavily and seemed to consider. I wasn't stalling out being short of cash right now, but I might be able to raise more if I had a little time. Might be able to meet that 10 grand figure in a day or so. I can wait, she said quickly. When, when shall I come back? You ought to know better than that. You can't be running in and out of here. For all I know, cops might be watching my place at any given moment. When I get things ready, I'll have to get in touch with you. I'll tell you where to meet me to make the deal, and I'll pick a place where we'll both be in the clear. How can I get in touch with you? Easy, she said, letting the necklace run slowly through her fingers into her bag. I've been in town two months. I have a nice little apartment. My phone is Colbert89663. You just give me a ring when you're ready, and I'll meet you wherever you say. You can call me Caroline, but no one else would ever answer my phone.
A minute later, she walked out of the store. The pasty-faced clerk looked back through the pane in the private office as though he expected he might get a signal from Malik. Malik shook his head. Clerk stared at the girl. He saw her look out carefully along the street before she opened the door. She took another quick, comprehensive glance as she opened the door and walked out. Then she turned right and disappeared. Still seated at his desk, Joseph Malik was smiling now. He rubbed his hands together as though he were very well pleased with himself. He started to pick up the phone on his desk and thought better of it. He rose, put on his hat, and left his store. He walked two blocks to a drugstore and found a telephone booth. He entered and dialed the number. Jake, he said when a heavy voice answered. This is JM. I've got a line on a sweet job for us. Dame came to my office a while ago. She had a string of shiners, worth plenty. If you read the papers, you know how she got them. Her pal was picked up on the job. I stalled her, got her phone number. With that, I'll check on her cross-index and get her address. Get it? All you have to do is walk in on her and take it away from her. She won't dare squat because she's plenty high. You can tell you saw the story in the newspaper and phoned a pal in Chicago and got the line on her. Now you meet me at Cleary's in 15 minutes. And I'll have the address and work out the details. Got it? Malik heard the affirmative grunt and hung up, his grin showing that he was quite satisfied with himself. He walked out of the drugstore, went to the corner, and flagged down a taxi. The girl from the Chicago told the truth about one thing, at least. She did have a nice little apartment in a nice neighborhood. She had a pleasant living room that overlooked a small park and a bedroom, bath, and kitchenette. At the moment, she was seated in her living room. She wore a becoming blue frock that harmonized with her surroundings. She picked up a magazine from the small table behind her chair, glanced at it for a few minutes, and threw it aside patiently. At that instant, knocks sounded on her door. She rose from her chair. Her face sobered, the blue eyes centered a frown for an instant. She walked to the door, hesitated a few seconds, listened, then opened the door. Her quick effort to close it again was blocked. A big man pushed the door open, shoving her aside in the same motion. Two other men came in right behind him. The last man in, the smallest of the trio, closed the door. What's the big idea? What is this, a heist? I wouldn't say that, baby. Now, just take it easy. This is just a little deal between friends. You might say it's strictly business. All you gotta do is play nice and you won't get hurt. I can't imagine having any business that would concern you, she said as she backed toward the chair where she had been sitting. That's it, he nodded. Go ahead and sit down and make yourself comfortable. We might be here for quite a while. That depends on you. Lippy, you take a look at that big purse on the table. She might have a gad in it. Lippy, the middleman in stature of the trio, went over and picked up the purse. Yeah, he said. She had a gat. He held up a small automatic. I ain't surprised, Big Jake Howard said heavily. I ain't got much doubt. She'd have used it on us if she had a chance. I said to grab her hands when she opened the door till I saw they were empty. Just sit down there in the chair, baby. You ain't going to get a chance to grab another gat if you've got one undercover somewhere. She sat down. That's the only one I have. You three lugs ought to be pretty safe now. You're three to one, and I'll concede I might get the worst of it if I started a free-for-all. So what's the play? The play is one you won't like, baby. Big Jake said. Then he grinned broadly. We're detectives. Employed by a certain insurance company. Now, that company had insured a diamond necklace owned by Mrs. Staunton. Two very mean guys did her a dirty trick. They stuck her up in the lobby of her apartment hotel and took that necklace away from her. The insurance company wants that necklace back. No, we ain't looking for blood. You hand over that necklace and we'll walk out quietly, turn the necklace back to Mrs. Staunton, and keep our mouth shut to the cops. The girl leaned forward and there were sparks in her blue eyes. You three apes might get by in a cage to the zoo, but if you walked in the office of any insurance company and they saw you coming, they'd call for the Marines. I don't recall ever having seen three such ugly mugs on display before. If you're detectives, I'm a... Shut your trap! Big Jake exploded angrily. Or I'll slap you silly. Now we'll get down to tax. 
I seen that squib in the paper about the stunt and stick up. It said this guy, the cops wing, was from Chicago. Also said the cops suspected the little guy was a dame. I got pals in Chicago. I phone one of them that knows about everybody around the Windy City. The guy called me back six hours later. He gave me the dope on a man and a girl who got a bit hot in Chicago and come on here. He don't know your name, but he gave me a good description of you. And you just took the description and came straight here to my apartment. No, I didn't. I got brains. I knew that the dame that had a stunt necklace would want to get rid of it quick. So she'd get to a fence quick. There are only three fences in town that would handle an animal like that necklace. Get it? There are three of us. We each watched a fence. Lippy there was keeping an eye on a smooth fence by the name of Malik. He saw you go in Malik's place. He tailed you when he left. Tailed you right here. The girl smiled. Nice work. To look at you, I'd swear you didn't have enough brains to figure out a play like that. I would have guessed you were about the most stupid punk I'd ever lay his eyes on. Now I'll admit you're smart, so you've come here to make me cough up the necklace. That's it. That'll be just one small difficulty. I don't have the necklace in my possession now. You're lying. If you ain't got it here, where is it? I'm surprised you can't figure that out yourself. Lippy there saw me go in Malik's place. He saw me come out. I'll admit when I went in I had that necklace, but I didn't have it when I came out. I sold it to Malik. You're lying. Malik never makes a deal without dickery. Lippy said you weren't in his place more than 30 minutes. Lippy's absolutely right about that. And you're right about Malik not making a deal without dickery. When I asked for 10 grand, he stalled. But I happened to be in a jam. I needed dough and needed it quick. So when he offered me four, I took it. Big Jake stared at her for a few seconds and his eyes lighted up. Okay, sister, it's all the same to us. If you're telling the truth about it, just hand us over that four grand. I'll even do better than that. You say you're in a jam. You just slip us three grand and we'll let you keep one grand to operate on. But I haven't got the four grand here. What'd you do with it? I put an envelope mailed to my poor old grandmother in Seattle. I send all the money I get to Grandma. You see, she's on heroin, and it takes about 50 bucks a day to keep her going, and I... Shut up! I'm through listening to your yapping. Let's go over the joint. She's got that necklace hid somewhere. We're bound to find it. Get moving, you guys. I'll keep an eye on this smart dame from Chicago. You take the bedroom, Lippy. You take the bath and kitchenette, Gus. And you sit right in that chair and don't move, sister. The three men went to work at their respective assignments. Big Jake went over the living room, keeping a close eye on the girl. Lippy and Gus finally came back into the room and shook their heads. Big Jake had drawn a blank, too. He walked over to the girl and took her wrist in his tremendous right hand. This is it, baby. We know you've got that necklace and you're going to tell us where it is. He began to turn her wrist very slowly. She set her teeth, but as he slowly continued to turn her wrist, she finally winced and her face went pale. I can stand it just as long as you can. If your arm busts, it's your fault, not mine. If you let out a yell, we'll gag you and use matches on your feet. Might as well save yourself the agony and come clean. She didn't answer. Big Jake continued to turn her wrist. She twisted her body in a vain effort to relieve the tension. Big Jake only twisted harder. All right, let go. I'll come clean. Big Jake released the pressure a little. It's underneath the dresser in my bedroom. Stuck to the boards on the bottom with scotch tape. Lippy wheeled and went into the bedroom. There was a big grin on his face and returned. He held up the necklace. That does it. Fair enough, Big Jake said. He let go of the girl's wrist and stepped back. We got some tape ourselves. We might need a little leeway. We'll tape you up light so you can get loose in a few minutes. All right, Gus, fix her up. 
Gus moved over, pulling a roll of tape from his pocket. Quickly, he lashed her arms to the arms of the chair and her ankles to the legs. He finished by gagging her. No hard feelings, Big Jake told her as he prepared to leave. Just one of those breaks. Now you stay right here and be a good girl. One of us will slip you a grand for getaway money just as soon as we can peddle the brights. The three men opened the door, filed out, closed the door behind them. The girl began to sway her body as she sought to loosen the tape that held her wrists. Joseph Malik sat in his private office. From time to time, he glanced expectantly at his phone as though he might be awaiting a word of good news. He didn't hear the door of his office open, didn't realize he had a visitor until he looked up and saw the girl. For a moment, he blinked and stared, then he frowned hard. I told you not to come here again. Told you I'd get in touch with you when I was ready to talk to you again. As he spoke, he turned his head and looked sharply through the little window that viewed the salesroom of his shop, but his pasty-faced clerk was not in sight. You needn't get excited about it, Malik. Even if the cops walked in on us now, they wouldn't have a thing on us. I don't have that Staunton necklace on me. I'm glad of that, at least. He tried to conceal his elation. His scheme had worked out. Big Jake had carried out his share of the plan. Malik leaned back in his chair and relaxed, even permitted himself a slight smile as he looked at his victim. Somehow she looked better now. The neat gray suit she wore was becoming, and she'd been more careful to make up this time. She was really a neat number, he thought. Too bad she is so dumb. If the cops ever caught you with that necklace, it would just be too bad. The cops haven't had a chance to catch me with it now, Malik. Because I haven't got it. A while ago, three very tough customers walked in on me at my apartment. In some way, they managed to find out a little about me and get my address. They knew I had the necklace. It wasn't too hard for them to put pressure on it and take it away from me. You don't say. Well, that newspaper story is probably read by every mobster in town. Some of them have ways of finding out things. Some of them may even have had a line on you before you pulled that job. This pal of yours may have got acquainted with some of the local boys. I'm quite sure that he didn't, Malik. This mob that took the necklace from me said they had phoned in Chicago and got a line on me through a pal there, after they'd read the newspaper story. But I knew better than that. They're just trying to make it look good. You think somebody tipped them off? Maybe somebody in the building where you live had got ideas. She slowly shook her head. It wasn't anybody in the building, Malik. It was someone else. Maybe you. It wasn't. Couldn't have been me. I didn't know anything except you wanted to sell me the necklace. You had my phone number. It would have been easy for you to have checked and got the address. You're just imagining things. I didn't know such thing. You know, Malik, I didn't just come on blind when I called that necklace. I'm too smart for that. I want to know a thing about you before I offer you that necklace, and I found out plenty. For instance, there was a big job pulled on the Harnett Jewelry Company a couple months ago. Harnett had a very wonderful emerald necklace on display. It was valued at 200 grand. A mob walked in and took them for that emerald necklace and shot down a guard at the same time. You know about that, don't you? Who doesn't? It was headline in the paper for days. You think I bought those emeralds from the mob? You're crazy. Maybe you didn't exactly have to buy them. Maybe you were a partner, a silent partner on the job, because it was noticed that you had been in Harnett's a couple of times for the robbery on the pretense of selling them some small diamonds, which you said you were overstocked. It was also noticed that you came in and took a look at the emerald necklace when it first went on display. You looked everything over very carefully, so you might easily have fingered the job for the mob. Ridiculous! I never did any! And then there was the Ridgeway payroll job. You went out to the Ridgeway plant shortly before that job and tried to get Ridgeway to buy a diamond bracelet for his wife. He hadn't intimated he wanted to buy anything like that. You said you just had a hunch he might like it. That gave you a good chance to finger the plant for your mob. Then there was a job at the Jones Construction Company. You, 
I've heard enough of this. You can't come in here and blackmail me, you little tramp. Get out. You can't pin the thing on me. Oh, yes, I can, Malik. She raised her voice a little. You were the only person in the world who could have tipped my address to a mob. You had my phone number. You checked in a cross index, got the address, phoned your pals, told them it would be a cinch to take a necklace away from me. The mob told me they had phoned Chicago and got a line on me. Well, I did come from Chicago, but that was ten years ago. If your mob had really got a line on me, they'd avoided me like poison. You mean that you're that you're a dick? Malik gasped. Not a dick, just the wife of a dick, Malik. My husband was a young guard from the Wales Agency who was shot down by Big Jake's mob in the Harnet robbery. He just barely pulled through. While he was fighting for his life, I made up my mind to try to do something. I talked to the regular detectives. They're suspicious of you. So we decided to smoke you out, and your mob, too. The Staunton job was faked, Malik, and your greed got the best of your judgment when you thought you could get those splendid gems for nothing. You put your mob on me. They got the necklace and ran into a flock of cops and tried to leave the building. Lippy was the weak spot. We put the pressure on him. My husband accused him of firing the shot to send him down. Lippy blew up and said it was Big Jake who did the shooting. Lippy's down at headquarters right now, dictating a full confession. Malik's left hand was down beneath the desk, pressing furiously at a button. The girl's hand came with a gun in it. You're wasting your time, Malik. Your bodyguard clerk isn't answering any buttons. It's a pleasure for me to arrest you as the brains of that dumb mob. You want to see my special commission before I blow my whistle? Malik's face was white and he seemed to have shrunk a few inches. He opened his mouth wide, but no words came. Carolyn Potter took a whistle from her purse, raised it to her lips, and blew it shrilly. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening today. Just to remind us, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.